Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language, writing history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a meaty middle about apostrophes, a tidbit about the word cipher, and a familect story about not being distracted. When I was in second grade, I lost a spelling bee because I misspelled the word its. I put an apostrophe in when I shouldn't have, and it was a very traumatic moment in my young life. But I think this lesson is burned into my mind precisely because of my past misdeeds. And although I can't change my past, I feel the next best thing would be to save all of you from similar apostrophe-induced horrors. Apostrophes have two main uses in the English language. They stand in for something that's missing, and they can be used to make a word possessive. Apostrophes first showed up in the 1500s as a way to indicate omissions. Today, the most common place to find this kind of apostrophe is in contractions, such as can't for cannot, that's for that is, and it's for it is or it has, but they can also be used in fun ways. If you're writing fiction, you might use apostrophes to eliminate letters to represent a character's dialect. For example, I saw him talking yonder, with apostrophes to indicate that the speaker said M instead of them, and talking instead of talking. Sometimes people call this I dialect, E-Y-E, because it's a dialect that your eye can see on the page. Most people who give fiction writing advice say it's fine to occasionally use I-dialect, but you should do so sparingly because it can be hard to read and distracting, and it's also easy to get it wrong. In the 1600s and again in the 1700s, new uses emerged for the apostrophe, so it's no wonder that people were and are confused. It wasn't until the mid-1800s that people even tried to set down firm rules for the apostrophe. One major new use for the apostrophe was to indicate possession. For example, the aardvark's pencil, where there's an apostrophe S at the end of aardvark. That means the pencil belongs to the aardvark. He is in possession of it. It's not a contraction of aardvark and is. No letters are missing, at least not today. An interesting side note is that it doesn't seem so strange that we use an apostrophe S to make words possessive once you realize that in Old English, it was common to make words possessive by adding ES to the end. 
For example, the possessive of fox would have been foxes, F-O-X-E-S, which was the same as the plural. I assume that caused confusion, and someone suggested replacing the E with an apostrophe to make foxes, F-O-X apostrophe S, the possessive case. So the apostrophe for the possessive case was initially meant to show that the E was missing, and then the idea caught on and everybody seems to have eventually forgotten all about the missing E. Let's talk about some more apostrophe basics. For some reason, people seem especially prone to apostrophe errors, and most especially people who write signs and flyers. For example, a listener named Katie sent me a photo of a sign in a vegetable market advertising bananas $1.50, bananas apostrophe S, as though a banana was carrying around pocket change. The apostrophe before the S makes the $1.50 a possession of one lucky banana. I also would have given anything to have had a camera with me when I came upon a menu advertising Laddie's Night, L-A-D-I-E apostrophe S. I'm assuming the proprietors meant Ladies' Night, but I have this image in my mind of the restaurant providing free entry to one particularly dapper laddie. The bottom line is that whenever you're using apostrophes, especially if you're making signs or flyers, Take a second and a third look to make sure you're doing it right. Do you want to make your noun possessive? Are you making a contraction? If not, you don't need an apostrophe. I'll end this part today with an overview of the word that caused me such torment in second grade, its. Confusing the two forms of its is a very common mistake. Its can mean it is and it has when you use an apostrophe to make a contraction. But its, I-T-S, no apostrophe, is a possessive pronoun, just like hers, ours, and yours, none of which take an apostrophe either. I've thought about this a lot, and I think the reason people get confused about whether to put an apostrophe in your, their, whose, and its is the way we're taught about apostrophes and possessives in grade school. When we're first taught about making words possessive, We're taught about making nouns possessive, and you do that with apostrophes. We have aardvark's fishing pole, squiggly's chocolate, and the trip's agenda. Aardvark, squiggly, and the trip are all nouns, and you make them possessive with an apostrophe s. We aren't taught about pronouns until later, at least I wasn't. And by then, the idea that possessives and apostrophes go together is firmly embedded in your brain. But pronouns are different from nouns. You make pronouns possessive by using a different spelling, no apostrophe S in sight. You becomes your, Y-O-U-R. Don't forget your fishing pole. They becomes their, T-H-E-I-R. Squiggly and Aardvark reviewed their agenda. Who becomes whose, W-H-O-S-E. Whose chocolate melted in the back seat? And it becomes its, I-T-S. The car is on its last leg. So nouns use apostrophes to become possessive, but possessive pronouns get their own separate spellings. But some of them happen to end with S, like its, which can make it confusing. Remember that pronouns never use apostrophes to become possessive. I don't say never very often, but this is a case where never applies. When you see its, 
I-T apostrophe S, it's always a contraction of it is or it has. And since I used squiggly and aardvark in the example sentences today, I'll explain who they are. I haven't explained that in a long time. And a listener named DJ from Atlanta left a nice review on Apple Podcasts, thank you, and asked about squiggly and aardvark. They are two buddies, much like Bert and Ernie or Oscar and Felix from The Odd Couple, in my mind. And some of my books have illustrations of them having adventures. And they're also each on a card in my card game, Pivors. I lived in Santa Cruz, California when I got the idea for the Grammar Girl podcast, and Squiggly is inspired by the UC Santa Cruz banana slug mascot. They're both yellow. And Squiggly loves chocolate and is a little bit lazy. He is a snail, after all, so he can't move very fast. Aardvark is a cranky blue aardvark who loves to fish. I'm not sure what his inspiration was. He just kind of popped into my head fully formed. However, Kevin Cummings, who did a piece for me once on humor writing, told me that words with the letter K are inherently funny, and I like things that make me laugh, so that probably had something to do with aardvark. Again, thanks for the nice review, DJ, and also thanks to Jaja, who also left a nice review. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies, to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar? That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. The other day, I described someone as a cipher, and I was surprised that my husband had never heard the word used that way. So I figured that if he didn't know about it, probably some of you don't know about it either. Cipher comes from an Arabic word that means zero, empty, or nothing. 
The Arabic numerals, one, two, three, and so on, are also called ciphers, and a person can cipher a math problem, which means to work it out. A cipher can also be a sign or symbol, such as the royal cipher adopted by a monarch, or it can describe characters that have no inherent meaning, but instead have a hidden meaning, such as a code written in a nonsense alphabet. Here's a beautiful example from Alberto Manguel's book, A History of Reading. At one magical instant in your early childhood, the page of a book, that string of confused alien ciphers, shivered into meaning. Words spoke to you, gave up their secrets. At that moment, whole universes opened. You became irrevocably a reader. A cipher can also be a person, often a fictional character, who's a blank slate, and that's how I use the word when talking to my husband. A cipher has so little personality, is such a nothing, that the readers or viewers can project their own ideas and values onto the character. Here's an example from Alan Barra's review of the book Fab, An Intimate Life of Paul McCartney. Soon's biggest weakness in telling the story is his inability to give us a fresh focus on the other Beatles. John seems beyond his ken, George is a bit of a dim bulb, and Ringo, the bane of all Beatles biographers, is simply a cipher. Here's another example from a 2011 article about a Canadian politician whose nickname is Iggy. Iggy is a cipher. To the extent that the public knows anything about him at all, it's what the Tories have told them. Ask people what they know about him, and it's usually the taglines from Tory ads that come out of their mouths. So there you go. A cipher can be a sign or a symbol, a coded message, the act of solving a math problem, or a person who is a nothing, a placeholder, a mystery, or a blank slate. The same root also gives us the word decipher, which is to work out the meaning of something, often a code or something that's hard to read in some other way. For example, although many have tried, nobody has been able to decipher the Voynich Manuscript, a 15th-century illustrated book written on vellum. Finally today, I have a familect story from Melissa. Hi there, Mignon. Um, this is Melissa from Los Angeles, and I have a Familex story. Um, ours started about seven years ago, or maybe ten years ago, with a family friend. We were all actually on vacation in Mexico, and which isn't really important to the story, but adds a little bit of context. And we were going to be going fly fishing there. And we told our family friend's daughter, um, whose name is Lauren, to really, really pay attention. She was, she's very, she's just all over the place. And we told her, pay attention, pay attention. She goes, it's fine. I'm paying attention. I'm distracted. And we all were like, what are you talking about? You're distracted. And she said, well, I'm not distracted. I'm distracted. So now, whenever anybody in our family is paying attention to something, we say, I'm totally distracted or I'm distracted. And it just brought up an interesting point that in the English language, we don't always just add dis um, as a prefix to words to change the meaning. And she was actually pretty logical in thinking that distracted meant paying attention since distracted didn't. Okay, I really enjoy your po- your podcast, and thank you, and 
stay distracted. Thanks, Melissa. Your story reminded me of a segment we did a few years ago about words that only have a negative form. You can search quickanddirtytips.com for the word gruntled, the base of disgruntled, to learn more about its origin and that of disheveled, disaster, and a few more. If you want to hear your family-like story on the show, the story of a word your family and only your family uses, leave a voicemail message at 83-321-4-GIRL. And be sure to tell me the story, because that's always the best part. I'm Mignon Fogarty, Grammar Girl and author of the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. And thanks to my audio producer, Nathan Sams. If you need to know AP Style for Work, I have a webinar coming up August 20th. I did a basic webinar a few months ago, and you can still buy the recording of that. And then this new one is an advanced AP Style webinar. I'll teach you how to use hyphens and dashes according to AP Style, how to handle terms related to race and gender, how to deal with quirks of social media such as using emoji in quotations, and a whole bunch more. Sign up at bit.ly slash apstyle2019. I'll put that link in the show description that you should be able to see in your podcast player. And if you aren't already subscribed to my weekly email newsletter, you can do that at quickanddirtytips.com using the subscribe link at the top of the page. We always announce everything in the email newsletter. That's all. Thanks for listening. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.